so this message is entitled The Light of the World, um, and the message is in four parts. Number one, we're going to look at the light. This is verses 4 to 5 and 9 to 11. Two, we're going to look at the gift. This is verses 12 to 13. Thirdly, we're going to look at the witness, which is verses 6 to 8. Then we'll have some application, and then part of our application, we're going to be uh, celebrating communion together, coming to the table. Now, for those of you OCD people, you're noticing something that's happening with the numbers. Do you see it? Do you see what's happening with the numbers? Some of you are like, this is not right. This is whatever you're doing. This is unholy what you have done. <laughs> then we're going to talk about verses 4 to 5. Then we're going to skip. We're going to go to 9 to 11, then 12 to 13, then go back to 6 to 8. Jamie, what's wrong with you? You'll understand. I'm doing this on purpose. Uh, you'll understand as we go through the text. So the light, the gift, the witness, and then application and the table. Let me read the text. And then we'll go, after, we'll go after what the Lord is saying here. This is John 1, verses 4 to 13. John writes about Jesus. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this gospel. Thank you for Jesus, that you sent your one and only son to us. And Jesus, we honor you. You are the creator and redeemer and savior of the world. We honor you in this season. And I thank you for this record that is living and active about you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine the text to us, that you would come on our minds and on our hearts, that we would see Jesus, that our hearts would burn within us as we see Jesus in the text. So we give you this time, Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's start. The light. This is verses 4, 5, and 9 to 11. Let me just read it again. 4 to 5, 9 to 11. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now skip down to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, we talked a little bit about this. I'm, I'm, I'm cheating into last week of verse 4 and 5. We talked about this a little bit already, that this Jesus is, in fact, the life and the light. And John is doing a little play on these two words and bringing them together, life and light together. 
that Jesus has come to bring life and to be the light of the world. In fact, Jesus says this uh, explicitly about himself in chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we talked about this last week, that religious systems have a tendency to use language of darkness and light all the time. Most religious systems talk about this. In fact, uh, many of the great stories, uh, many of the great movies that you watch, many of the great books that you will read have this concept of darkness and light together. And I just want to say again, just like I said last week, the Christian worldview sees none of the dualism that is sometimes in these religious systems. Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes there is an idea that, the, that creation itself is being driven by these two forces, darkness and light, as if these two are like equally powered, and they are like doing this. And that everything you see around you is like this weird sort of impersonal goodness, darkness thing where they're struggling. It's like, well, maybe, maybe the dark wins today. I don't know. And maybe the light wins tomorrow. But since they're equally powered, there's a dualism at play. Then it's kind of a little bit deterministic. Just like, yeah, we'll just see what happens. Does that make sense what I'm saying? But actually, the biblical worldview is the exact opposite of this thing. That actually the light has come and the darkness will not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. There is no sort of like, uh-oh. God's not thinking to himself, oh boy, this is going to be rough. I don't know if this is going to work out. Like I'm going to come as light, but I don't, well, maybe I'll get snuffed out. I don't know if I'm going to win. Actually, Jesus shows up. He's like, I'm winning. I'm going to win. I have won already. I created all things and now I'm coming to destroy darkness. <laughs> so just, I'm just reminding us again. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I feel like the Father is really calling us to just be very culturally aware of the narratives that are around us. We are, we are constantly being bombarded with truth claims, and one of those claims is goodness and darkness are in some sort of eternal struggle where we don't really know which one will win. In fact, it could be that for all of eternity there's this struggle. The biblical worldview is, for all of eternity, there will be no struggle, but light, Jesus the King and Creator, will make all things right. He will destroy sin and death forever. There will, no, there will not be some sort of eternal battle of good and evil. No, good has won, and his name is Jesus. And it's important that you know that, so that when you hear the rival truth claim, you can identify it. Okay. That was bonus stuff for you. <laughs> but John is using this metaphor of darkness and light. And what I really appreciate about this is, and we've talked about this in the Advent season, this gives us an opportunity, this Advent season gives us an opportunity to really think about things that are broken around us. To come face to face with the fact that actually the world is pretty messed up. And there are really, really broken relationships. There are broken uh, governmental systems all over the world. The World Cup has exposed a little bit of that. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. <laughs> As we start thinking about different countries, you're like, whoa, what's happening there? And what's happening here in the U.S.? But actually, Advent gives us an opportunity to actually face some of these things and say, man, is there someone who is going to come and make all things right? Look at verse 9. John says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The true light, 
that presupposes then there are some false lights. You know what I'm saying? Further in the context, he, he is referring to John. He says, John is not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So obviously, contextually, he's talking about, he's, he's comparing that Jesus is the true light as opposed to John contextually. But I just want to talk about the fact that there is a true light, and there are all, all kinds of false lights that people believe are true. But the Bible says the true light, this Jesus, is the one who enlightens everyone, and he was coming into the world. He is the true light of the world. Further, he's actually coming into the world, which is fascinating. Um, it's important that you see in the text that this light of the world was coming into the world. You, some of you are like, Jamie, why are you making such a big deal about these words? Well, again, when you're talking about biblical worldview versus other worldviews, the primary uh, cultural worldview that we're in is that light will come from within if we're just enlightened enough personally. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Actually, many people would think, wow, everything's broken in the world. What's the solution? Many times the solution is, well, we need to figure it out. Actually, the light is within. If, if we can allow what's within to shine on this thing, then it will fix the world around us. Does, has anyone ever heard this even implicitly? But actually, the biblical worldview is that the light is not within and just needs to be let out. Oh, no, no, no. The light has come into the world. Like, that which is true light and life actually has come into creation because creation is so messed up. Any worldview system that says, you know, actually what will solve all this is if we just have enough education. Actually, what will fix all this is if we just all start being nice. What will fix this is if we all just, if we need to just all agree on what the best way forward is. That, that would be saying that the light is within, and we just need to let it out, and then it will fix everything. No, no, the biblical worldview is, no, no, creation is so broken that light actually has to come from outside into creation and fix it. This is, in fact, Jesus, the Christ. Again, I'm, I'm pressing this thing because these rival worldview claims are all around us. I want you to see them and be able to identify. Last thing that I want you to see here in the text is verses 10 and 11. This light was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So this light and life, Jesus actually is the creator of all things. He has created everything that is, we know from Genesis 3 in the fall, there's brokenness in this world now. And now Jesus comes incarnate in human flesh into his creation. And actually, the Bible says that his creation didn't know it was him and did not receive him. In fact, rejected him as the light. This is a really hard truth, friends. Sometimes when we read scripture, sometimes we just read over it, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I heard this last Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, just, I, I read through the Gospel of John, and yeah, of course. Yeah. They didn't know him. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Actually, this is really hard, because it pushes against uh, universalism, friends. It pushes against the belief that, hey, when you die, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Just like generally be less bad than Hitler, then you'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, generally, just, just do some good stuff. It'll be fine. Actually, it's not fine. There is a rejection of the king. The biblical worldview says, actually, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that falling short, that rejection of the king, actually deserves death and separation forever. It's so funny. Original sin is one of the most flattening and equalizing truths there is in all of creation. Did you realize that? (laughs) Because we're all messed up. It, the, the doctrine of, of original sin actually does not allow me to look at someone else and be like, ooh, she's way worse than me, and then get puffed up. Actually, the doctrine of original sin, she's messed up, and I'm messed up too, especially Mario. Just kidding. Just kidding. I, lo- I love seeing you, by the way. But does that make sense? But we have this weird thing where we'll look at someone else and be like, oh, well, scale of one to ten, that's a two. I'm at least a four and a half, okay. But actually, the rejection of the king that we have all committed actually puts us all at negative infinity. So there is a flattening of social structures related to sin and God. Where all of us are actually as bad as we could possibly be. The only reason is because we're comparing like a two and a 2.25 somehow. Lucato would talk about this when he's talking about grace. It's a fascinating image. It would be like if I look at someone else and, and, and they are marginally more sinful than me, oh, even though in my mind I'm like, oh, I can't believe you cheated on her. You did this, you did this, you did this. And I somehow think that I'm better than this person. And Lucato's image, it's like if, if you had two people standing on the moon and they both jumped up towards the earth to get back to earth and one of them jumped a centimeter higher than the other one on the way to earth. Are y'all seeing this image? Like, it's, it, it, we think it, that it's something there. Well, at least I didn't do that to that person. Yeah, but that's like a centimeter of, of getting to the expanse, which is getting back to earth. I, I'm, I'm pressing on this because the light who has come has come, and we all need him regardless of how good you think you are. And honestly, all of that thinking that we're good, if you just take a little bit of time and just get still and quiet and just like examine your inner motives, you realize, whew, there's something messed up in there, man. There's something really, really broken. Or how about when your kids say something to you and something rises up and you're like, what is wrong with me? a great brokenness and it is rooted in the rejection of the creator as king that he has created all things and then we sit around and say well did he really say did he he really say I think I should be the king (laughs) I think I should be the ruler of my own life so what's the so what to this this light who has come One so what for you to consider. Christmas, (laughs) Christmas is not a time to think to ourselves, you know what, this is the gift that I want, world peace. As if that's a gift that can be given (laughs) by us. Sometimes at Christmas we have these false notions. 
oh, if we, just, if we just go back to the nostalgic times where we sang those carols, you know what I'm saying? If we, ju- if we just go back, Christmas actually is not a time to think, actually, if we just get all together and sing the same songs, everything will be okay. Actually, that's not true. Going back will not solve brokenness. What solves brokenness is the light of the world, Jesus, who has come, the little baby who has come. Okay, let's look at the gift, verses 12 to 13. The gift, verse 12 to 13. Let's look at the text. John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, someone say gave. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These are really important words, friends. <laughs> Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him. So remember, he just said that the light has come into the world. The world did not know him. And actually, his own people did not receive him. There was a rejection. Then he says, but to all who did receive him and qualifies it as who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right. He gave the right to become children of God. So just a reminder, Christmas story is Jesus has come into the world to save the world. (laughs) And he calls all people to believe in him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one experiences peace. No one experiences, quote, unquote, the good life. No one experiences eternal life except through me. There There is an inclusivity to Christianity. Anyone can come regardless of brokenness. But there is an exclusivity to Christianity. You must come to Jesus. So anyone can come. Yes, come. But it is exclusively through Christ, he says. Because I am the light of the world. I am the one who is to come. He says, those who received him and who believed in his name. Now, some of you know this. John chapter 20, John writes this entire gospel. And then in chapter 20, he explains why he wrote this gospel. And this is really important for you to know. John actually tells us why he wrote this. This is John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. John writes this. All of this is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Did you know that's the purpose of the Gospel of John? According to John himself. I'm writing all these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Now, the difficult question here is, why don't some people receive him? I mean, the previous verse just says, he comes to his own and his own people did not receive him. Then it says, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't people receive Jesus? Now, I'm happy for a little talk back right now. Why wouldn't people receive Jesus? I don't believe he is who he says he is. Okay? What else? It's good. They think they don't need him. Okay? Want to rule their own lives? Yep. God's choice. Okay? Self-righteousness. It's a gift. I like all these. I want to submit one because I've just been thinking about Christmas. And I think I brought this up last Christmas Eve. It's such a good thought. The Lord gave it to me, so I'm not being arrogant. But it is a really good thought. It's interesting. 
receiving Jesus requires a level of humility on the part of the receiver (laughs) to actually go, you know what? I'm actually not, actually, this isn't working. Like, I'm not smart enough or good enough or have enough willpower to fix myself. Actually, I'm making things worse. And the capacity to do that requires a little level of humility to go, you know what? I need help and I need a savior. Because I, I, told this, I told this last Christmas, this is fantastic. Imagine that you're, it's Christmas Day, you open up a present, right? And you open it up and it's from like one of those family members that you're not quite sure about in terms of relationally. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I don't know if they like me or not. But I open up the present, I open it up, I look at it, and the book is called how to make better life choices, right? How to stop living at home and being a loser is the name of the book (laughs) that was given to you. Do you see what I'm saying, right? Dieting for dummies, this kind of stuff, right? Imagine you open up a gift and you're like, wait, is this a gift or are you slapping me in the face? Actually, receiving Jesus is like receiving a book that goes how to get your life in order because you don't know what you're doing, and to actually receive it. Are you hearing what I'm saying right now? There's a part of us that has to go, you know what? Yeah, I do need a Savior. Jesus, would you come and actually take over my life? And and many of us live in such self-sufficiency that even after having received Jesus, we walk around thinking that we're God still. See, nobody wants to talk about the fact that we are really messed up Nobody wants to talk about it, but if you don't talk about it, you don't realize you need a savior. That's what's so deadly about Christmas. Oh, I just can't wait to open up these presents and be with my family and eat all this food. This is going to be amazing. And then you get to it and you're like, ugh, is this what I've been waiting for? So it's a gift. Receiving Jesus is basically saying, dude, I am so messed up. The creator of the world had to come and die for me in my place, take all the punishment that I deserve because I am that messed up. I will receive this king. And oh, by the way, he's the king, so I will do whatever he calls me to do. He has restored me back to fellowship with the Father. So, of course, I will follow you. All those answers that you gave, I think, are really, really good. I'm just submitting this one with regard to the the capacity to go, you know what, I really do need help. I do need a Savior who will come and restore me. So the so what of this, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't received Jesus, I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus this morning. Some of you are like, well, Jamie, I I prayed this prayer. Great. I love that. Also, today, we all have an opportunity to receive Jesus again. Like, we all have an opportunity today to go, you know what? I'm kind of making a mess of my life. I'm going to resubmit to Jesus. I'm actually going to bring all the brokenness of my life, and I'm going to actually give it to Jesus again. He died on the cross in my place for my sin and brokenness. He bore the wrath and shame and guilt that I deserve. He bore it on the cross, and he was buried in the ground. And on the third day, he was raised triumphant over my sin and your sin. And he comes to us and says, why don't you come to me, and you'll receive forgiveness. You'll receive restoration. You'll receive my spirit to come and dwell within you, and you will receive eternal life. But it takes enough humility to go, yep, I need that king, as opposed to, I got this. I think that's why many people don't receive Jesus. They still think they got this, including some believers in this room. (laughs) So I want to encourage you, 
to come and receive Jesus again today. Second, so what related to this? Just want to just want to speak to the sort of church culture. You know, one of the things that people will complain about churches is that we're judgmental, we're arrogant, and we're always looking down on other people who don't obey. Is that fair? Is that fair what I've just said? And it, it strikes me, it strikes me, the church should be the most gracious, kind, warm, and engaging people because we have experienced grace. You see, when I, as a church person, look down on someone else, I'm like, I can't believe did you do that? Don't you know what the Bible says? When I do that, I manifest the fact that I don't understand the gospel right there. Because I believe that my behavior earns something and their behavior has somehow, there's something about his behavior and my behavior that separates us. Actually, again, we are all messed up. It is only the grace of God that I am who I am. All the righteousness that anyone ever experiences has been given to us in Christ. In fact, even the impulse to obey is given to us by God. Are you hearing what I'm saying right now? Yes, sir. So if I walk around puffed up like, oh, man, I gave some serious money this year, man. Look at this, man. Look at my tithing. Look at what I did. Actually, the capacity and desire to do that was given to you by God. Yeah, but yeah, you should see the way that I, I led this organization. It was so amazing. Actually, the skill that you have has been given to you by God. <laughs> so I just want to speak to church culture. Let me be very careful about looking down at people because of behavior. Because there but for the grace of God go we. And any righteousness credited to us is a gift by faith, not by willpower and behavior. Because even our behavior to obey God and that impulse has been given to us by God and His Spirit. So I just want to encourage and foster a gospel-fueled graciousness among the church towards each other. So that when we look at each other, I'm not looking at you based off of your behavior and thinking I'm somehow better because you did that and I didn't do that, but actually saying this person needs grace, needs Jesus just like I do. I wonder if they, sh I wonder if they could hear about this Jesus. Rather than judging, maybe, maybe they need to hear about Jesus. Maybe they should actually hear about the grace that is available to them and the actual supernatural capacity to obey the word that is available in the Holy Spirit. Because if I look at someone outside in the world and expect them to obey the law of God, why would I expect people to obey the law of God that do not have the Spirit of God which allows them to obey the law of God? Are you all hearing what I'm saying right now? The, the world is saying some things about church culture that are true because we walk around puffed up thinking somehow that our righteousness is because of our righteousness. But our righteousness has been credited to us in Christ. And when we walk around arrogantly, we, we manifest the fact that we do not understand the gospel and we are living our lives self-sufficient on our own righteousness rather than the righteousness of Christ given to us. Can, can you feel the... Oof presence of the Lord because the Lord is good and when the world sees Christians and expects to see Christ and they do not see goodness we are not walking in gospel life hmm. let's finish the witness which is tied to what I just said uh, verses six to eight hopefully you'll see why I've done what I'm doing here <laughs> by jumping around verses six to eight the witness 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is John the baptizer, not John the son of Zebedee, who's the author of this book, just so that we're clear. John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. Someone say witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, that is John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So just some context. When John enters the scene, and we're going to find this out later, but I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit. When John enters the scene, many people are asking, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come? They're asking, are you the light? Are you, are you God come? Are you the king who's going to come and restore all things? And John goes, ah, I ain't that dude. <laughs> There's a dude coming. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals because the dude is coming. So that's what John's talking about here. It says, this John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the word who was in the beginning with God and was God. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So he was sent by God. This language of sent, sentness, is a common theme throughout Scripture. God is a sending God. (laughs) He's always sending. Did you know this? God is always sending. By the way, you right now are being sent by God. You don't realize it, but you're being sent. All throughout Scripture, God is sending, sending, sending. He looks at Abram and says, "Um, I'm going to make a people out of you, and from you I'm going to bless all the nations. God has on his mind, after the fall, God has on his mind a sending of people and representatives to declare, my kingdom is really, really good. You should come and be with me. And by the way, you come through Jesus the Christ. God is always sending. And so we see this example that he's sending John the Baptist. He was sent by God. To bear witness is this phrase. That to bear witness is a, a legal term. It means to provide a verbal testimony The semantic dictionary says, to provide information about a person or an event concerning which the speaker has direct knowledge to testify or be a witness. So John actually is bearing witness to this light, Jesus the Christ, and in coming weeks we're going to see how he does that, behold the Lamb of God. But he's bearing witness about Jesus to the entire world. Why? It's in the text. Why is he doing this? So that all might believe through him. This is the last half of verse 7. So that all might believe through him. John is not bearing witness just to do it. He's bearing witness and saying, and by the way, you should believe in this one who is the light, this Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one that you've been waiting for. So he's testifying to someone that he has personal knowledge of about this is the one that if you will believe in him, you will experience eternal life. Belief in Jesus. Believe him, just like the Gospel of John is after in John chapter 20. So what's the so what here? (laughs) Also in John chapter 20, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he goes, As the Father has sent me, so I am what? Sending you. So the Father sends Jesus... The Father also sends John the Baptist. And Jesus comes. John the Baptist is like, this is the dude. Go follow him. He's the king. He's the Messiah. If you believe in him, you have eternal life. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. He's getting ready to ascend. He goes, okay, here we go, guys and girls. Here we we go. In the same way the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them. So now they got the Spirit of God. 
This is a big deal what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm pressing here. John the Baptist is, a, is an amazing character. Also, we all have the ministry of John the Baptist. In fact, we have a greater ministry than John the Baptist. Remember what Jesus said about John? He said, there's no one greater than John. I mean, this dude. I mean, Jesus is like, there's no one greater than this John. He says, and yet, in the new covenant, even the least in the new covenant, that's the one that we're walking in right now, even the least in the new covenant is greater than John. And we've been given a commission to go and to bear witness to this king, this Jesus. So I want to encourage you, you have the same mission as John. And what are we bearing witness to? John 3.16, you know this text. Because it's an interesting question. What are we bearing witness to? Are we bearing witness to a church? And are we bearing, bearing witness to an ideology or a political affiliation? Am I, am I bearing witness to my own sort of view of the way the world should be? What are, what are we bearing witness to? We're bearing witness to Jesus. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We're bearing witness to the fact that you don't have to continue walking around in darkness, but the light has come. He has come to restore your life and to grant you eternal life. So how do we apply this? Let's look at application on the table. I just want to encourage you a couple of things because I can feel the pressure in the room. I can feel the pressure in the room, what I just said. A couple of things. One, part of your identity has been changed when you enter into the kingdom by faith in Christ. Part of your identity changes. And Ellie, put that passage up. This is um, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. This is who you are by grace through faith in Christ. And by the way, the you is plural, so it's all us, all, all y'all. You know what I'm saying? It's all y'all in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's interesting. I was looking at the World Cup, and I was seeing, you know, these nations together. And they're, like, celebrating. Our nation won. It's interesting. The body of Christ, in many ways, is a new, a new nation of nations. That actually, by grace of faith in Christ, actually, we are people from all kinds of tribes and tongues and nations actually gathered together on the same team. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And there is a great celebration. One of the great things about going to a sporting event is because you've got other fans with you. And it's not a singular event. Actually, the event experiences more joy when you have others with you also celebrating. But actually, we're actually a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There's a new nation, as it were, to the sort of cosmic World Cup. I know I'm mixing a lot of metaphors here, but hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Actually, we enter in to some sort of beautiful kingdom of grace and mercy and, and giftedness that we do not earn, and we are celebrating the king. How much more significant than a World Cup win is the creator of all things triumphing over evil? In fact, what's so great about sport is it's a shadow pointing us to the great victory that is in Christ. 
Now I love sports. I just want to love sports and then also remember that this is just a shadow. It's just like a little tiny version of the great victory that is found in the King Jesus. And if I'm going to be so invested in this thing, why am I not invested in the great story victory at the same level? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I know we're about to be in bowl season. I know about the college football playoffs. I know there's a lot of Buckeyes and a lot of Wolverines and a lot of horn Frogs, right? Let us celebrate these things, yes and amen. Also remember, they are but a shadow of the victory that has been won in Christ. Now you ask the question, great, Jamie, that sounds right. How do I walk in that? So I just want to talk about a couple of things. I want, I want to be helpful here. I want to encourage you to ask the Lord, what is going on in my heart that I do not find you, Jesus, as all satisfying? And I'm asking myself that, right? Because even saying this, I think to myself, wait, if it was a movie, I'm more obsessed with talking about Lord of the Rings and Avatar than I am talking about Jesus, the king of the world. I'm just being honest, right? Like, what's quicker on my tongue is the fact that Harry Kane missed the PK. Did you see when he missed it? And I was like, ah! Like, I'm more inclined to talk about that than the greatest event that has ever occurred, Jesus the Christ dying for the sins of the world and being raised on the third day. And I'm looking at my heart, I'm like, what is going on in here that I do very little bearing witness to the one thing that matters? I'm happy to bear witness to college football. I'm happy to bear witness to books and movies that I've seen. But I, I don't bear witness with the same intensity to the one king. I'm just being honest, like, personally right now. So I want to encourage you, as an application, to ask the Lord, what's going on in my heart that I don't find all the satisfaction in Jesus that I find in these other things. I'm going to encourage you to ask him that. And I'm going to encourage you to confess that to him. And I'm going to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart on the inside. If you think, if you hear me say, you should walk out of here and be a better bearer of witnessing. If you hear me say that, you're hearing me wrong. You will not, in willpower, just walk out and be like, I'm just going to bear witness better. I'm just going to bear witness better right now. I'm bearing witness better. Actually, that will not work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You actually need the Spirit of God to have an, 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 an overflowing joy in Jesus that I will share. Because he is better than Pandora. Right? He's better. But we are so blinded that we see all of these lesser joys and we're telling everybody, we're bearing witness about lesser joys. Wow. We've been blinded, friends. But if you try to grit your teeth and just bear witness better, it will not work. You need a change on the inside. That's one application. Second, I'm just trying to be really practical. Just being really practical. Do not do this alone. The joy of storytelling is in having a family on mission, like being a part of a family and sharing together. In engaging with brothers and sisters, saying, hey, hey, let's, let's go bear witness together. Let's do this together. So not only are you being changed on the inside, but also you have uh, someone else. It's almost like being representatives of the same team with the same jersey telling the story. Y'all see what I'm saying? Hey, I was there. This was amazing. Last thing, ask the Father to give you the same love that he has for Jesus to give it to you. It's closely tied to the first one. The reason I say that is because if you, 
If you're not growing in increasing love for Jesus, you will not stand in front of someone who doesn't like you and doesn't want you to talk about Jesus. You will not stand in front of them and tell them about Jesus if you don't love him. And I'm thinking about like brothers and sisters around the world that are standing and declaring Jesus under threat of death. And and I won't do it under threat of a bad look. So, So there's something too, when I love Jesus, I talk about Jesus. What I love, I talk about. And it just begs the question, if I'm not willing to talk about him, do I love him?